Welcome back to a, another edition of Global Star on Netflix. You know, it's that recap show that could. Where we go into the deep, into the archives of films that appear on that Netflix platform. Usually, they're originals. Most likely, they're originals. Sometimes, you go outside the box. Of course, it's Flobo. Having the time of his life. It's Saturday night, and I was thinking about curling myself up with a nice action flick. And I actually scrolled through a bunch of things. I came across this film today, Inside Man 2, Most Wanted. And it was interesting to me because the original Inside Man, the Spike Lee joint, is actually one of my favorites. Uh, for those who don't know, Spike Lee's a very Artur-like director. The original Inside Man was his take for a Hollywood formatted blockbuster. Basically, it was a script that he did not write. He just directed, had some space to put his own flourishes on, and became a nice little quaint hit. A lot of small things to like about it, a lot of nuance in that stuff. And, well... I kind of liked it for a bunch of reasons. There was Denzel Washington being all smooth, Jodie Foster looking all rough, uh, a intriguing protagonist, and the soundtrack is pretty solid. But Inside Man 2 Most Wanted currently is listed as uh, a 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and Rotten Tomatoes has it certified rotten at 37%. Now, is it true? Is it fair? We're going to go right into it. Now, a lot like the first film, this story takes place involving a robbery in New York. There's a play with languages and how New York is a multicultural melting pot. And sometimes some of the characters speak a different language. There is a heist. There is misdirection. And there's a lot of references to the first one. But the, the similarities kind of end there. Our main villain is... A sister, it seems, of the Dalton Russell character played by Clive Owen, which gets retconned into saying that it wasn't even Dalton, Dalton Russell's name to begin with. And even though I appreciate them looking into the idea of diamond heist or gold heist and using World War II and Nazi sympathizers as a backdrop to what was going on, a lot of it seemed like setting. You know, one of the cool things about the, the skill of Spike Lee is that since he's so used to working in New York, a lot of times New York City is a character in the film. And I think it's not the same way in the original Inside Man. I mean, the, the movie opens up with the bank, but then the opening sequence is on Coney Island. And we see how the van travels across the city while songs are playing uh, to give you a little bit of look and feel. This one a little bit right here was okay. But the maison scene is what they call it in film, uh, at film school. It was a little flat. It was almost like, like New York City was just basically a backdrop to what was going on. This story could have happened practically anywhere. In fact, you wouldn't even tell it was New York, and then it skipped saying New York. But I come here not to bury the film. I gave you an honest assessment. There's a lot of things about Inside Man 2 most wanted that they do right. And I want to talk to you, uh, speak on the point of Amil Amin. Loved him ever since The Maze Runner, basically filling in for the Kevin Frazier role played by uh, Denzel Washington. And this universe, Kevin Frazier has since retired. And this character played by Remy has a lot of that kind of easy talking, negotiating flair. In fact, it, at times, it does sound like Amil Amin is trying to do his Denzel Washington impression. Um, didn't bother me much because he's just that charismatic. I instantly bought him as someone who was a smooth talker. I think script kind of beat us over the head with the fact he was from New Orleans. He kept on saying he was from New Orleans. It, did, it wasn't really necessary to say he was from New Orleans, but it wasn't like you felt that there was performance, but I did like the fact that he was instantly disarming 
instantly charming. And on the other side, Dr. Bryn Stewart, who was like the FBI negotiator or the criminal, criminal profile, even though she's a profiler, but she kind of fits in the role of, of Kevin Pierce's partner in the first one, but has a lot of that that rigid demeanor of the Jodie Foster character, the fixer character in the first one as well. And so I understand it, a little bit of a, a swamp in the dynamic. I thought those were done pretty well. And ultimately, while the story goes on, it was cool to have a little bit of the first film and the second film to really have this true sequel. In fact, in my notes, I had written down, hey, it's kind of a spiritual sequel. It's kind of a name only. But as the story progresses, you'll see why the two films are actually connected. But the problem I have overall, and I have it here in caps, is standard, standard, standard. The interrogation scenes played with us as an audience in the first one, it was kind of like a mystery. You try to piece together pieces and you realize it was a giant misdirection. This here is kind of like a gimmick. The interrogation scenes were added on, it sounds feel like. It wasn't really different or special. So if I, I kind of, it almost appears as if there's like a paint by numbers aspect to the script. I mean, the script uh, was written. Um, I have the script writer here. I do not have it here unfortunately, but it was directed by uh, MJ Passett, who did uh, Da Vinci's Demons and Alter Carbon, a very journeyman director uh, kind of approach to it. So they did have the elements of the first one, but not really quite fleshed out. The actual heist, again, has to be a little bit of the main heist the distraction, the misdirection, quite like the first. It's done differently enough to put it in the family of the first one, but doesn't quite connect as much. And uh, even though I liked Amelia, or Most Wanted, uh, the, the antagonist of the film. I got to be honest with you, it's probably my bias sticking out. There was something really arresting about Clive Owen being the antagonist. I remember watching how the film opens up, the first film, Inside Man, with, with Dalton Russell played by Clive Owen, cameras on, and he goes, my name is Dalton Russell. Play strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat myself. I told you the who. That's the who. I told you my name. That's the who. And for me, I'm not an actor. I never said I was, but I wanted to learn that passage. I wanted to perform that. I wanted to do a monologue. You couldn't tell because I just botched the ending. But what I'm saying is there was something like, okay, what's going on? Pay strict attention. He never repeats himself. I missed it. What are you saying? I, I'm invested. I'm already out of sorts. This one kind of holds your hands. The second Inside Man holds your hands, which is great in the post-binging era where you can watch a movie, space out, answer emails, come back to it, and know what's going on. Uh, but it doesn't have the same, quite, same kind of meat uh, on that burger, I guess, as that first one. I know it's unfair as a setup on its own. It does. I mean, there's a lot of substandard action movies on Netflix, the direct to Netflix videos. And this one's actually better than a whole lot of them. It's great. The only problem is it's what makes it unique is its ultimate undoing. Linking it to the first film, uh, linking it to that Spike Lee joint, it just comes off as unfair in every way. And so I got a feeling since so much time has passed between the two films, I'm almost positive if this film has fans uh, or some kind of traction, there's going to be a group of fans that will prefer the second over the first because it is so different, even though they are connected. But ultimately, make mine the original.
So going back to the rating here, IMDb has it a 5.6. Rotten Tomatoes has a 37% of 100. I think Rotten Tomatoes is a little bit unfair. I would say about a 5. It was definitely easy. It goes down easy. It's an hour and 40 minutes. It goes by quickly, which is a lot to say about a lot of action movies on the Netflix platform. But ultimately, it has me yearning for something more. It's like hearing a cover of a song and you go, oh, that's great. Now, where's the original? That does it for me on this edition of Flubo Sword on Netflix. Do me a favor, check out the podcast version, whatever you stream. We're talking Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Speaker, all that good stuff. And if you like, you can support content quite like this by becoming a member of the Boisterous crew. That's our Patreon, patreon.com slash voice. Unlock bonus content and hang out with me in the Discord do that when you can. I'll be back next time for another episode of Flobo Sound on Netflix. Catch you around.